John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 931.RV2015, certificate number 48730. The Phone Book. The Bell Yellow Pages talks when your fingers do the walking. Pool doctor, we make emergency calls. Mrs. Murphy? Pool doctor? You recognize my voice. Get the Yellow Pages talking. We make emergency calls. Let your fingers do the walking. How have we been doing a reference work about mid-century childhood touchdowns for five years? We've done World Book Encyclopedia. You know, we talked about World Book Encyclopedia probably once a week since since 2015. It's how you and I both <laughs> jump-started our education. Road atlases. Uh, Britannica, uh, for me, of course. Britannica. Oh, you're in a Britannica addition- family? Well, we had World Book, but also a, a very, very elegant gold-leaf version of Britannica. We never had Britannica, which I found kind of snooty because it had the Macropedia and the Micropedia. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. So one part would be like an actual encyclopedia with kind of little bullet entries about the thing you wanted. But then the Macropedia would be like, well, if you really care about echinoderms, you need to get thee to the Macropedia. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like a 68-page thing with no pictures. The, 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 seemed, a uh, little, seemed a little above my pay grade. Britannica was one of those sets that you could put on the bottom shelf of a, um, of a bookshelf. <laughs> to and anchor then, it? And then, yeah, and then you could literally climb it. You could stand <laughs> up on top and try and rock it, and the Britannica would hold it. Even in an earthquake zone, you don't need those little buckle <laughs> things if you've got a macropedia. The, it's the weight of the words, all that extra That's ink. Right. That's right. Um, and the gold. The gold. <laughs> the gold leaf, yeah. right. <laughs> And we've talked about, uh, I'm sure we talked about Sears catalogs and uh, JCPenney wish books. And, For sure. You know, there was a time when children lingered over cheap newsprint. And I mean, did you sit and study the Sears catalog? Because I sure did. Only, pa- only the Brazier's. Yeah, there may be 11 <laughs> pages of the Sears catalog. <laughs> well, of course, the toys, right? Which were some of the only places you could even see Toys. In the Christmas one, there would always be a big toy section. Yeah. I feel like there was like a, a mid-year Sears catalog that really kind of gave the toys short shrift. Yeah. And you really just kind of had to linger on the bras until it, you got into teddies and then you're like, yeah, I lost interest. Dungarees. But, you know, you there were, there were I, don't, I don't know, I always found something in a Sears catalog. But boy, those toys, uh, 
it kind of let you know how big the world was because my folks wouldn't let me just wander around a toy store. And by extension, how unhappy you were. Yeah. Both of us probably have the experience of seeing those before we saw a fully stocked Toys R Us. Yes. Oh, well, they didn't. I, I yeah. never saw a Toys R Us until I was in college. I think I was in high school. That can't be right. But yeah. Maybe the movie Big was the first <laughs> right. time I ever saw F.A.L. one. Schwartz, I was like, this is not real. Yeah. They built this. But re- then Toys R Us brought one to every town in the whatever that was, mid to late 80s. Yeah, right. Um, I think I saw uh, in the Sears catalog one time that there was a pinball game. It wasn't even a a, yeah. a real pinball game. It was like a, a three-quarter size pinball game. But the idea that you could own a pinball game. There's a number right here. If yeah. I could somehow get that many hundred dollars. Yeah. yeah. $129. What kind of child, what sort of Richie Rich has a pinball game? It, it's all the stuff that only Ricky Schroeder on Silver Spoons <laughs> would have. And the Christmas one would also have other kinds of um, things that to beguile a child, like um, different kinds of gift plates, treat plates, popcorn boxes, you know. Right. Wow. Like I've never, there's a store for this? I've been in pennies. They don't have any of this. This is just in the magic newsprint version. I had a pair of orange jeans and an orange jean jacket, <laughs> matching jeans and jean jacket that were like tangerine, kind of a, you know, like a, uh, they weren't. Super bright. They weren't safety orange. They were sort of a muted 70s. Persimmon. And, uh, you know, just a slight boot cut on the jeans. And uh, I think I remember seeing those in the Sears catalog. I didn't ask for them. They came. They they were Christmas gift, but I wish I had them now. Colors of corduroy that we can. It's like Greek fire. We've lost the tech. We can't reverse engineer (laughs) them all. But somehow in all this uh, aimless, uh, self-indulgent nostalgia, we have never talked about the phone book that I can recall. Can that be true? Uh, we talked about the, the Ma Bell breakup, and that's part right, of the story right. here. But did, I'm did, not sure we've ever done pointless point phone book nostalgia. Did, did you know that for years I drove around with, with both the white pages and the yellow pages in the trunk of my car? You had to have them in your car. Yeah, because you... People don't understand this. You were like, oh, where do, where is that, you know, where would I go to get this typewriter fixed? And you'd pull out the yellow pages and... You'd always have one in your house that was okay, and then you'd have a water, kind of a waterlogged one in your car that had <laughs> gr- gross black stuff had dumped on the cover at some point. Yeah. But phone books Oh, were, wait, you carried them in your car too? I thought I was just some sort of like outlier... No, I had them in the trunk. It only takes one time being like, I need this in the car twice as much as I need it at home. Yeah, right. And then this was a time when, as we'll explain, they would just appear on your porch, eventually from multiple providers. So there was always a spare uh, as you get into the as you get into the '90s and after. I'm realizing now that I just said that, and there are tens of thousands of futurelings that are like, "Yeah, I had what everybody's going to write." Too. You're not special. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 ah, super hack. But you have to realize we're explaining this to untold millennia of people who just can't imagine the idea that we all had this little tiny commercially printed book in our house run by a utility company that was also the key to the entire outside world, even more than the Sears catalog. This was your, this was how you navigated the world. It was your interface. And it, it was your phone and Google and everything all in one. Every single person's personal phone number. <laughs> and in order to be unlisted from the book, you had to go through some special thing, right? You couldn't, I mean, what what did that require? Yeah, you had to literally opt out, and there may have been a small charge. I know you had to pay a charge to get left out of the gray pages, which was the do you know the reverse telephone directory that oh. that only law enforcement and maybe some well trusted reference librarians could use, where you could look up a number. This was before Star sixty nine, 
you would look up a number and see whose it was. Oh, and yeah. the cops could have that access to that technology, but regulars were not to be trusted. I remember when unlisted number had this, it was like, oh, you're a member of a oh, country are club. Are you Eddie Murphy? Yeah. Like, why do you have an unlisted, unlisted number? number? But, uh, you know, we were such early, we were very early landline strippers. In the early 2000s, I mean, this is jumping what? ahead. Say a bit. what now? <laughs> we were early strippers. Yeah, this this coincides with the rise of the 900 numbers. What's too. the what's the opposite of adopt? Unadopt early oh. landline uh, uh, disadopters. Dis uh, what do you do? Discarders. Discarders. Let's say we were landline discarders. LDS. You jumped we early. Jumped, we jumped in like 2002. To what? To nothing. Well, oh. I mean, we had dumb phones. We had dumb cell phones. Oh, okay. And we were like, how long has it been since we actually got a call on the landline we wanted? So at one point, Mindy and I were, you know, newly married. We switched apartments and we were like, hey, life hack, let's not get a phone. And we were both like, what? Let's not get a phone. And I kind of talked her into it. Listen, you know, uh, we both have these little weird little phones now. Um, we I, had a home phone at my mom's house until 2015, probably. Plenty of people listening now still have home phones, I bet. We've been talking about going back, getting landlines. And not cell phones? Well, no, we have cell phones, but you know, our little girl, we don't want to give her a cell phone. Yeah. She's going to be 12 and she wants one, but I don't see that it's a good plan, except she wants more independence and we want to give her independence. So what do you do? You, you can't, can't win. Can't win. So All our friends have had one for probably five years or more. Uh, what? Kid or landline or phone? Or all her friends have had phones. Phones, yeah. For cell phones. For so what we're gonna do is get landlines in our houses so that at least she can both call out and we can call in if, you know, she's home alone. Is that why there's this like princess touchtone eighties phone here on the table? Why is this here? No, because I have a collection of old phones and she found It's got that her name one. on it. She it does. She's put her name in the little uh Millennials won't understand this, but there used to be a little laminated thing under the zero button where you could put your own number. She did put her name on it. That's so great. I don't even know how she figured out how to. Let's get some. Let's get some uh, sounds in the mic there of oh, yeah, old timey telephone. So here we we'll just get the. Uh, I haven't heard that in a while. Who is it? <laughs> Do the rattle the. And now rattle the receiver buttons. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Operator, operator. People always do that in movies, and I'm like, <laughs> I've literally never... Even as a kid, I was like, does that work? That doesn't work. So this phone, even though it's... And it, it, it is the classic beige AT&T phone, it actually has two jacks, so you could have two separate lines, which is crazy, <laughs> right? This isn't like... Remember, because you could, you could hold switch? Yeah, yeah. and switch... But this is two separate lines, and then it's got a red light on it, so you could put... We never had the switch. red light. Well, no, this is like an office That's a phone. fancy one. I found it at a... If you can imagine this, I found it at a thrift store. Now that we're used to phones just being kind of sleek black monoliths, it is weird to see how almost military this looks. Like, isn't it... It looks like a tank. Like, its profile is very much like it's, um, you know, a larger version of that would be rolling across Europe somewhere. Give Stop! Me the, give me the president. Um, Wait, that's what you say when you pick up the phone. You say stop, <laughs> stop. That's very confusing to everyone. <laughs> well, did you have a did you have a way to answer the phone? Because I always said Roderick Residence, <laughs> Roderick Residence, and that became my, that became. We my were told thing. not to do that. That was a stranger danger thing. Don't say your name because then they can be like, "Yeah, hey, um, I just need to talk to Mister Jennings. I'm a friend. Are you his kid? What send me send me photos." 
of you and Aquaman Underoos. Like, a, this is the kind of thing our parents said would happen if you said your name on the phone. That Stranger Danger stuff only started coming up after the Dungeons and Dragons scares. And by then, I was already in high school and somebody come wrote at us, me, fools. Somebody wrote us to say it was the Atlanta child murders. And maybe we should do oh. a podcast about how that's created helicopter parenting. Yeah, maybe. If, if we buy that. I just realized I'm going to do one on 900 numbers. That's going to be a that's going to be omnibus after dark. I hope you're rubbing yourself looking for something to write on and not for any other reason. What is, what is happening there? I was doing the pat your pockets for a pen thing. <laughs> but it's very, but you know you don't have one. It's very, it's like just, um, this is how I show that I'm going to remember something. I'm touching my, <laughs> where's my, where's my, my quill pen? I'm not a panhandler. You don't have to do a whole, you don't have to do a whole masquerade. Oh, I left my wallet at home. Uh, Here's my dad when the check comes uh, at PFJ. <laughs> I only use credit cards now. Oh. Um, yeah, this is a, I mean, these are beautiful industrial design. And we talked on the Bell Show about how these were, for the most of the time, these were actually owned by the phone company and leased to people. Yeah. And I think this one dates just to the handover, maybe, where you could start buying your own phone. This is made by SciTech. So this is actually a science phone. <laughs> that explains the red light. The red light goes on when science is happening. Please do uh, not enter uh, the chamber. Uh, uh, the, the Bell Company did not own the phone books you got. In fact, it didn't even own the information in them. There was a Supreme Court case where people who were stripping the phone book for information uh, were sued by Ma Bell. And the Supreme Court found, eh, those are just phone numbers, buddy. They're in the ether. You Really? That's, you know. Yeah, you made an alphabetical list and you put them in every home, and now it's just gone. Um, but uh, but they were everywhere, and it's weird that they were just <laughs> published by a utility company. Like, here's how you're going to do all your errands, and they became such a part of the furnishings, just the um, the ambiance of people's homes that they came to have all these other cultural uses. Did your family do things with phone books besides look up plumbers in them? Um, well, my mom at one point in the, uh, in the white pages here in Seattle, all the, cause you know, yellow pages were businesses, white pages were, uh, people's homes, but there was one page in the white pages where all the churches in Seattle were listed and, and you know, and they don't have ads or anything. They're just phone number, phone number, phone number. Yeah. And somehow it was a, a section that just had the churches it would be, you know, you don't want to imply that they're commercial enterprises. We need to keep them holier than that. Right, but they weren't, you know, alphabetical, sep, you know, up in in, in yeah. the neighborhood section. And so she ripped the page out of the phone book and she spent a year oh, yeah. going to every church in Seattle and and going to a, you know, and, and sitting through a whole um, service. And she would, you know, highlight the ones that she'd been to and she just kept this piece of paper around as her... So it was a spiritual journey it as was. well. It was. The phone book was her uh, her Gideon Bible or... It was. She was craft. like, let's see, you know, com- comparative study of religion, except just like in Seattle mini malls. There was also the blank page in the back where you could put down your own numbers. Do you remember this about the white pages? No. There was like a blank section where it's like, now here's where you write down, here's your, you know, your aunt and uncle's number and make sure you put down... Weren't those numbers in the white pages? But here, they'd be in a convenient one, one-stop form. Because even back then, I think everyone knew. Well, I mean, maybe they didn't. I was thinking about how when Yahoo came out, it actually mimicked a phone directory kind of a thing where it would be like, here's all your top-level subjects alphabetically. Okay, click that one. Okay, now here's a bunch of kinds of that. There was no, um, the idea wasn't, you'll want to search like you do in Google. It was really more like, 
Here's a phone book, but digital. When you say Yahoo, do you mean Jim and Dean's Guide to the Internet? That's, I still call it Jim and Dean's Guide <laughs> to the Internet. Um, did you carry around people's phone numbers on a list in your wallet? No, I mean, many people had a little kind of a mini book or planner. Did you ever do that? I was always a kid and I could just, you know, kids just have the ability to just learn every number. So you can just go up to a phone and with muscle memory, I can still type my grandma's number. I can still type my high school friends' numbers. When I was in my early 20s, you know, I moved to Seattle and I started meeting people and and uh, I was pretty social for an introvert. I was a hyper social introvert. And so high functioning introvert. I was very, you were, you were passing. And so I, I knew a lot of people and I, and you know, then I was in music and I was in college and I worked downtown and you know, I, so I started to collect phone numbers of all these people that I actually called, right? They weren't, it wasn't just like collecting business cards in a jar. It was, these were the these people were your, I knew and I needed to be yeah. in touch with them all. And so I started to write them, write their numbers, names and numbers down on a three by five card and I would write them in really small handwriting. And you've seen from my show notes, I can get pretty small. I, yeah. You know, I can write really small. Are these girls, by the way? You're just saying it's contact. But we, yeah. know, we know what this really is. Yeah, you know, girls and... and uh, you're pretending it's like your, your vast <laughs> network of... This is just a booty call index card. And definitely when I was drinking, it was like places I could crash conceivably mm. if I'd been kicked out of the last place I was crashing. You know, people you could call at one in the morning and be mm-hmm. like, hey... You should listen by time. This is how your yellow yeah, exactly. pages should work. No, and 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 there was an order to them. And then I would take masking tape and I would, you know, laminate it, right? Like self-laminate with masking tape. <laughs> and I made this Wait, isn't masking tape opaque? It's going to be a problem. Well, no, what's the packing tape? Oh, okay. Uh and then I would cut it down so that it fit perfectly in my wallet. And at the time I used a trucker wallet. Which you it's could, a bigger, smaller, yeah, it's bigger. a trucker wallet. Well, okay. It's one of those wallets on a chain oh, okay. that, you know, you can put bigger stuff. Anyway, I, I still have a couple of those and they're hilarious. Like I, I consulted it five times a day. You should call all the numbers. So you see who's there see now. who's there. Yeah. Explain. A Here's a podcast idea. Uh, idea. Every day you call some <laughs> old number and have a 45 minute conversation with whoever was living in this. Hi, is Brenda there? <laughs> what? No. Oh, I had this number. Brenda was amazing. Uh, so I, I just realized I did not, uh, fin- I, I did not explain why I was telling a story about getting rid of landlines. Cause we were talking about unlisted numbers. What that meant is just by accident, we were not listed in the Salt Lake city phone book in 2004 when I was on jeopardy because we oh. had gotten rid of a landline a, a year and a half before. Oh, so just coincidentally, you were spared a total nightmare. I was, but Ken Jennings of uh, Holiday, Utah was not. There was an, one other Ken Jennings living in the Salt Lake City metro area. Oh, poor Ken Jennings. Taylorsville or Holiday. And so it just kind of ramped up, and for months it just didn't stop. And I guess it got worse after Jeopardy aired in every market. A bunch of people would be like, uh, what do they say? A software engineer from Salt Lake City. Let's, you know, because the worst the thing about the 2000s is now you can find local directory assistants, local phone directories, and everybody would just call and be like, hey, is Ken from Jeopardy there? And he just started leaving the phone off the hook every night. Have you ever talked to him? Yeah. So he also got all my mail because, you know, the thing about a phone book is your address right. is listed. What a weird world we lived in, right? <laughs> unless you're literally... Stop on by. Unless you're literally the <laughs> secretary of commerce or whatever. You're uh, <laughs> Today it's only, what, maybe state university professors still have this thing where everybody can find your email and your phone number and yell at you. That's good. Yeah. Uh, but he... Uh, People would call late at night and be like, is Ken from Jeopardy there? And he'd always, I, he eventually just got so angry, he would just say, 
No, he ran off with Vanna White and slammed the phone down. Nice one. Ken R. Jennings, furious. Sizzle. But at one point, like, through just through some friend of a friend thing, I heard, you know, this guy's got, like, a lot of mail for you. And he's actually kept it. He's kept all the fan mail. He had a box of mail. So I got a bunch of Jeopardy swag together, and I, I you know, easy to track down. He's in the book. <laughs> Called him up and explained our weird relationship, and I went over and, you know, hung out with him for the afternoon. And How did he like that get, phone call? What, was he suspicious at first? Uh, I don't think so. I think maybe the friend of a friend connection had explained, hey, I'm going to, like, tell him you're going to call him or whatever. But it seemed like he was very forgiving when I came over. Like, we yeah. had a fun chat. I knew it wasn't, he knew it wasn't my fault. I don't know if he wanted signed Jeopardy baseball caps, but that's what he's getting for his three months of misery. <laughs> I want to discourage futurelings listening to, uh, yeah. discourage you from l- looking up that. Ken Could Jennings Ken R. Jennings <laughs> still be listed in the Salt Lake City metro area? Please leave him alone. Let's, let's not find out. I would guess I was thinking more physical uses you could do for the, besides ripping out the pages, which by the way. Is against the law. I don't know if it was against love. It was a huge problem. Phone company hated it because otherwise, you know, they would just, can you believe people who would never spray paint a building will just go into a drugstore and pull a Marty McFly on the one page they need and leave because they don't have an index card system like you. You see it all the time in movies. Yeah, the, and I think it happened, it, movies were reflecting real life. That's so lame. I mean, mom right. pulled it out of our phone book, our home phone book. Presuming that none of the rest of us were going <laughs> to need to look up any churches. Spiritual exploration. And I think she Maybe probably, she's trying to protect you from that. <laughs> she didn't even rip it. I think she probably put a ruler in there and very carefully, like... <laughs> I mean, are people literally thinking, hey, what are the odds that anybody's going to need Fitzgerald through Fitzhugh R again? Zick? Or are they just being like, this is for me and I need it. Zick? I think it's that. I think it's just like, me, me, me. But also, how hard is it to remember one phone number? Two seven four eight six nine two. Two seven four eight six nine two. Well, I just realized my system was just writing it on my hand. Oh. Like I spent most of the first twenty five years of my life with. But you a, had to have a pen. <laughs> I'm patting away uh, with phone numbers on my hand because I knew I was going to need it later in the day, and it might smear. And then you're guessing was that an eight or a six? You're calling a bunch of people. Um, but phone companies hated that because the for decades the phone books outside of people's residences just got trashed those ones that would hang from phone booths yeah oh they wouldn't come along and change them as often as they said they had a team of agents scouring bus stations and drugstores and whatnot to see where they were really getting beat up and uh, apparently at one point I, i read a saturday evening post article from the 50s about what goes into the phone book this is the kind of thing that People just could not get enough of in the Saturday Evening Post that's in 1958. Why, that's why we needed weekly magazines, Ken. <laughs> Apparently, the the phone book the phone books at the booths in Grand Central Terminal in New York City would often be changed every 48 hours because of all the beatings they would take. Whoa. I, I don't know if I can believe that, but imagine people waiting in line for phone booths, which was a common thing in American cities for for, you know, almost 100 years. Um, yeah, if you think about Grand Central, people are just lining up to use yeah. the bank of, of phones. The thing in movies where people are yelling at the people in the phone bank because they've been talking too long and there's eight of us who need to make our calls, buddy. I've had that experience. Oh, wow. Standing outside a phone booth and being like, look, there's this is a phone booth on a corner. There's no one else around. There's you. you. You're clearly twisting the phone thing in <laughs> yeah. your index finger. Yeah. This is not an urgent call. There's you. You've been in there for a long time. And there's me standing <laughs> One foot away from you. In the rain. Looking in the glass, clearly needing to make a phone call. 
We sound so old. I hate you, person. I guess I was thinking of more of just like physical uses of a big object that size. Oh, to keep the door, prop that, the door That would open. be a doorstop, big time spider killer. Sure. In a lot of homes. like sure. um, could see that. Although yeah. we don't kill spiders in this house. No. We what? taught our kids that the spiders are garage pets. You're terrified of them, but they're just a different kind of pet. It lives in your garage. And do you take them? Do you capture them in the house and take them to the garage? Yeah. If they're in the garage, the rule is you leave them alone. If they're in the house, let's see if we can get them to the garage. Yeah. Uh, the kids are terrified of spiders, and I don't know what we did. Weird. Both of them? Both of them. Huh. Like like my son, now college age, like kind of can't function. With like, a spider? Yeah. He would call us. I mean, like, you know, he's a senior in high school, and he'd call us, hey, there's a spider in my room. We'd go up there, you know. Yeah. There's a spider, like the size of a, with legs included, the size of a bottle cap. Okay. Uh, we live in a place yeah. where the only thing is spiders. Yeah. Basements are uh, 60, 65% spiders by weight here from September to November. <laughs> and it's really one reason why we, like, we're not sure we could ever get our kids to go to, you know, a vacation home anywhere because... You know, spiders. If nobody's been in there for a couple of weeks. Well, I have... So I'm the, uh, obviously, right, the designated spider wrangler around here, but I don't... I will not tolerate this standing up on a on a footstool screaming about a about a mouse business and and uh you know there's a spider are, up are in the you corner. married to june cleaver or lucy ricardo <laughs> yes that's the world i live in there's some innocent spider just up in the corner of the ceiling minding its own business doing whatever it's doing keeping other bugs from us yeah and i'm getting screamed at from across the house ah! and i'm like no 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 screaming do you have a size that's a cutoff? Like when you see videos of big Australian spiders, are you like, yeah, well, that guy's got to go. That's the size of a snow crab. Well, no, I move them all because because business comes to a screeching halt until I've until I've moved the spider. But I definitely like very gently. But even to your taste, there's no spider that will creep you out. Because uh, I, no, I have the, to admit, I have a size threshold. The fast moving spiders, the the jumping ones, and the and the ones that like yeah escape. I'm not super psyched about them because I don't want them to run up my sleeve. They could be anywhere. Yeah, but um, but no, you know those ones out in the garden, the wolf spiders or the ones that get to be the yeah. size of your palm. Yeah, yeah I don't want them on me. <laughs> just before we started, I just realized you looked over at me and said, "There's something on your neck, and it might be a spider." <laughs> I did say, which that. is like, I mean, the, <laughs> the first half is something you 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 you, know, you don't love. The second half is like the worst sentence in the world. But you reached up very calmly and and tried well, I, to brush it away. I I, I don't know. I don't, it's gone now. Whatever it was, you didn't like jump up out of your chair and, and run around. I said these immortal words. I hope it's lint. <laughs> Put that on my tombstone. But I, you know, in addition to uh, in addition to spiders, they were used to press leaves and flowers for uh, little children. Uh, housewives pressed ties in in the yellow pages. Um, they, they, uh, they pressed ties. Can you imagine it? Well, that's a good idea. You'd think that even the weight of most of the yellow page, it was just the biggest book people had. Yeah. And you and I came from homes that, sure, had a bunch of big hardcover books, but a lot of Americans didn't. That was the big book in their house. So if you needed something big and square, if you needed the kids to get higher in their seat for Thanksgiving. Sure, put them on the phone book. We did that. You never did? You never yeah, said yeah. No, it? No, 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 for sure. So a huge... Um, Two phone books. There was actually... I had never thought about this, but it was actually kind of a hiding place where people would put... Mm, love letters or specifically valuables, you know, money or whatever. Okay. And it got bad enough that the that the Bell telephone would actually start telling people, hey, um, you know, phone books would often get doodled on because you'd have a pen by the phone 
So it would be the most colored up book in the house. Oh, ours were completely trashed. You'd always have tic-tac-toe games and all kinds of all manner of crazy op art. And the Bell Company would actually say, please doodle on your phone book, especially if you're going to keep stuff there, because we've had too many people calling, freaking out because all their treasury bonds or all of their, you know, their $1,800 cash or whatever that they kept in the house is now gone. And we can't tell them apart. And we've got a truck full of phone books that all look the same. Um, You need to tell us yours is the one that has the picture of Winston Churchill doodled on the binding or whatever. They would encourage doodling. You can see all these old phone books, by the way, in um, the Library of Congress at one point had a program to digitize all of our old phone books. It is a, if you remember that time, it's a real fun blast from the past to just find what dog washing store ads looked like in Darien, Connecticut or uh, Columbus, Georgia in 1961. We know all the phone books here in Washington listed the numbers as like Columbia 2, Seven four one. See, I'm not old enough to have the prefixes. Yeah, and my mom still remembers all the prefixes and and I and and the neighborhoods they corresponded to, and I think still thinks of phone numbers like Madrona seven, one two four one. I always, you know, when you hear that in movies, it's always bull because they have to do the five five thing, yeah. and that's very ill chose. I mean, I think probably the reason why they chose five five is there's really no prefix you can make out of what's on the five J K L right. Right. So there's no. So that's why in movies it's always Klamath 921 or Klondike 9618 because no other word starts it's with be any combination five. of... Right. They've all started with five. Good point. Um, but uh, as I was... Oh, and um, old London phone books from like the 19th century are now digitized as well. So you can see the home phone numbers of like P.G. Woodhouse or oh. Bram Stoker or whatever, you know, and they're all like that. It's like Kensington 7150 or Mayfair 228, you know. I still have four phone books from Alaska in the in the 80s. You use those a lot or? <laughs> no. And Feats it's, of strength. It's one of those things where I, when I see them, I'm like, if I were to clear out my life a little bit and get rid of some things. That does seem like low-hanging fruit if you have anti-hoarder tendencies. Yeah, would I get rid of these Phone books from the 80s. Could you, Marie Kondo, mm. are they bringing you joy to know, like, phone numbers for dry cleaners in Anchorage? No. But, you know, I have, 40 that, years ago? I have that problem of, like, well, one day these will be cool. <laughs> People do. I mean, if you go on eBay right now, you will see somebody paying $76 for the Harrison phone book, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania phone book from 1948 or whatever. John, I'm looking to hire a pitching coach. I can't throw a curveball. Oh, I thought you meant a coach that will help you pitch business ideas to venture capitalists <laughs> in San Francisco. No, I'm a 48-year-old man that still wants to pitch in the major leagues, and I only have a one-pitch arsenal, and it's a change-up, and I need a curveball. Well, let me put it to you this way. You could talk about this on the Omnibus podcast. And see if any professional pitching coaches are listening. Of the tens of thousands of Omnibus listeners, you might get a pitching coach uh-huh. that happens. I'm sure you will. Uh-huh. I'm sure somebody will be like, actually, I work for the Braves. But you could sponsor a post on Indeed. Mm. And in the U.S., you're three times more likely to get a hire than, uh, than by mentioning it on the Omnibus project, <laughs> let alone on other things. It's crazy that you have that stat handy. See, the thing is, the right candidate, the right pitching coach for you is doing everything they can to find you because the league is 
always in need of great pitchers, and they unnecessarily limit themselves to people that are younger than 48 years old. So let me get this straight. Instead of spending hours on other job sites, just kind of going through resumes, like Indeed will just bring those candidates to my screen immediately? In the one minute I've been talking to you, 16 hires were made on Indeed. Wow. Yeah. I'm seeing here that over 80% of employees get quality candidates immediately with their instant match feature the second they post a job opening. Exactly. Indeed is the number one source of hires in the U.S., according to Talent Nest. That sounds and like... That's who I that's who I consult. When I have questions about talent mm-hmm. or, indeed, about Nests, Talent Nest is the first place I go. Indeed sounds like an unbelievably powerful hiring partner, Can John. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. All right. I'm going to start warming up my arm. Why don't you tell me what website to go to? Well, go to Indeed.com. Enter, or I'm sorry, go to Indeed.com slash Omnibus, and you'll get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed. That's an offer good for a limited time. That's okay. My arm's not going to be good for a, for very long. So I can claim a $75 credit now just by going to Indeed.com slash Omnibus? That's right. Indeed.com slash Omnibus. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you remember the first time your name, independent of your parents, appeared in a phone book? Did it ever? <sighs> yeah, I probably did. I mean, I didn't have the same thrill because... My name was the same as my dad's, right. and I'm, you, you'll understand. So, but it was always fun to look in the phone book and be like, we're famous. Like, yeah. it's almost like I'm in who's who. Like, it's in little tiny type, like a reference book. In fact, that type, Bell Gothic or Bell Centennial, invented by the Bell Telephone Company to be very legible at no that kidding. tiny size. No kidding. They have little features I didn't know about called ink traps, where the parts of the— you'll never notice this at size, but if you look up close, any little detailed corner of the letter actually gets thinner— and has a weird kind of a, you know, the negative space bulges in and makes the, because the ink is going to spread and it'll spread enough on the page that that corner will then look like a regular K. Whoa. But we have to create a little, a little gap in the K for the ink to do that. Um, so they designed their own typefaces. For That's this. cool. But yeah, seeing your name in that f- typeface was very exciting. Like, and there's my address. Look. Well, yeah, the first time I, my name appeared in the phone book, I really did do a Nathan, Navin R. Johnson and get the, you know, the phone books are here. The phone books are here. <laughs> and, uh, and there was my name and I was just so thrilled. Uh, but I had, I was a dork. And at the time, what was I, 19 or something? I, I had, I really loved Confederacy of Dunces. And so my name appears in the phone book as John Ignatius Riley. I think you said that before. It's Wait, so embarrassing. Were you allowed to just pick whatever phone yeah, mob just, pseudonym you wanted? Just say whatever you wanted. John Ignatius and there was, Riley. I bet there wasn't a bunch of people like the ones at the DMV making sure there's no sex jokes or um, or Nazi references. Yeah. So there, I'm sure there were people putting all kinds of John Oliver clothes off <laughs> in the in the phone book. I, I don't think I don't think that even if there was a team doing that, I don't think they would have said like Ignatius. Well, I mean, one result of people gaming the phone book is still with us today. Which is all these places that are like A one muffler shop, A A A dry cleaners. A111 plumbing, um, just because it was a stupid system and you had to get on the first page. Nobody was going to open the plumbing section at random and be like, let's see what the L's have to offer. There still are a lot of like triple A auto 
repair. That's how you know they date back to pre... I mean, phone books collapse surprisingly late, as we shall see. Um, but... I think in their dying years, I got way more phone books than I'd ever seen before. You did. That is something that happened... And well, that's probably the end of the story, but yes. Uh, and I think that is kind of what led to their de- demise. You know, the environmental and just psychological and why are we doing this costs got worse as the technology became less relevant. They would show up and I'd, then they'd go right in the recycling bin. You know, they'd come they're hanging in a bag or something off of the telephone pole and I would just push it right in there. There were also videos of people ripping the phone book in half. That was a, that was a very important use of the phone book. That was a tough guy Guys thing. with shaved heads and waxed mustaches. Yeah, if you, if you could break four boards with a karate kick you could also rip a phone book in half what does it take to rip a phone book in half it's got to be a trick apparently it is harder it's actually easier than the ripping an apple in half thing you see people do because i have not seen people do that oh you've never seen this ripping an apple in half it's kind of a martial arts thing which i'm sure has a lot of grip oh yeah know-how in addition to muscle strength but um but it's doable i mean not for me not for you and me but you know Humans can rip a phone book in half. Is this like this five spice angel uh, heart stopping technique? <laughs> yeah. You don't have to meditate first or anything. I'm sure it can't hurt. I don't want to, you know, you have to rip out the page with all the Eastern religions on it, uh-huh. visit them all. And that also makes the phone book a one page thinner. And then whoosh. so it's easier to rip. Maybe a lot of these people start by going to the ones in Grand Central Station where all the pages have been ripped out. They're like, check me out. By Marty McFly. Okay, I'm going to work my way up to a brand new one. Straight in the straight in the plastic bag hanging from my front doorknob. Uh, the story of the phone book begins surprisingly early, 1878. The very first phone directory is printed. When did the first phone? That's very close. It's like the next day. February 21st, 1878. The New Haven District Telephone Company in New Haven, Connecticut um, sends its subscribers a sheet of cardstock with a list of all the other subscribers. Because if you, you know, if a small number of people in town have a phone, you need to know who else has one or else what is your phone good for, right? Right. right. Like back then it was like, of course you got thousands. The problem with most phone books is you've got thousands of neighbors. How do you find a dry cleaners? Here it's got, you got thousands of neighbors. Do any of them have a phone? <laughs> and so this sheet listed the 11 residences in New Haven that had a had bought a newfangled Telephone. You would have to immediately go down and call them all, right? I'm sure it was all Hello, fellow phone owner. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) How's your phone? It's like a car guy now. How's the phone treating you? What do you, what kind of a signal are you getting off of that? Uh, So 11 residences, 38 businesses, and the police department. Mm -hmm. So this sheet had 50 numbers on it. I looked at it today. The first, very first number, and therefore I guess the, the first person ever listed in a telephone directory was triple a plumbing they're they're not in alphabetical order it must just be who who bought it first or it may have just been a matter of respect because it's reverend john e todd i guess much like the white page is putting the churches separately right these guys thought well the first person you're gonna want to call is reverend todd exactly i mean it's disrespectful to the lord if his if his servants are not you know if they fall below the the um what the the roofing company or something uh, and the weirdest thing about this directory is it has not a phone number on it. Huh? The first phone book had no phone numbers. Were there operators? Yeah, that's exactly it. There were no phone numbers at the time. Oh, you just called the operator and said, Reverend Todd. Reverend Todd, please. And, you know, for a while they had 50 subscribers and that was easy. But then as exchange, you know, as more and more people adopted the telephone, exchanges would get bigger. You'd have to have multiple exchanges with multiple operators. And that's eventually what led to the uh, to the adoption of the number. I mean, New Haven, 
later that year printed out the first phone book because this wasn't a single sheet of cardstock. It was a little booklet. And enough people had gotten the phone. And as early as six months later, enough of them had decided to advertise. The, the New Haven District Telephone Company had realized, oh, if we just charge people a dime to say, the finest smoked fish in town or whatever, you know. So the doctors and carriage companies could say, you know, what their specialties Since were. Since it's New Haven, it would be the finest smoked fish pizza in town. <laughs> Not in 1878, <laughs> probably. Um, and the sheet also was important because they needed to get uh, these lists in people's houses that had phone instructions and etiquette rules. Huh. Oh, like, that was a main purpose of the of the phone book was to let subscribers know what did and didn't wash with the New Haven Telephone District Company. Wait for the other person to stop talking before <laughs> you start talking. Well, I never do that on this show. No, so why none would of us you? do. What What are the rules? Um, they were very you know, no calls over three minutes. Whoa. A lot of them were due to the limitations of the new tech. I see. Um, and only make two per hour. Okay. Unless you're unless you've got a doctor's note, basically, like you need a you need special municipal approval to make more than two calls an hour. But what if you're really sad and want to talk to somebody? Or what if you've got a new girlfriend and you're 16? You hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> I wonder now if it's if that was an early way of discouraging sales calls. You know, if you, oh. if, if you, if you would have people being like, I mean, I'm a sharp-thinking Yankee. I'm going to call all 160 businesses in New Haven and see who needs a new, uh, new, new signage or whatever. Right, you can only call two times in an hour. Um, that would, that would uh, stymie the military recruiters that used to call me in the in the 80s. Is that who you were getting calls from? I did get calls from the military recru- recruiters in about 1984 and 85. They were like, hi, is John home? It's me, Does, Sar- Staff Sergeant uh, Is Selective Williams. Service selling your info? They were, ri- they were really hot to get high school juniors and seniors like listed until my mom started yelling at them. Well, I mean, I'm sure they're even hotter today. To, you know, the shortages are even worse today, but they're not calling... My kids. Oh, well, because your kids are afraid of spiders. They already know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they're like, mm, <laughs> nope. <laughs> They've got a box for that on the form. Uh, phone numbers actually developed the following year uh, in Lowell, Massachusetts. Uh, Figures. <laughs> classic Lowell. A friend of Alexander Graham Bell's, coincidentally, named Dr. Moses Greeley Parker, was kind of a leading citizen of uh, Lowell, Massachusetts. And, uh, he, I think he was maybe a stockholder or on the board of the local phone company as well as being a doctor. And so he was the one who noticed a problem with their current system. Uh, at the time it was like, like boys, young boys were the telephone operators. Hmm. Um, it later became an acceptable job for women. And I think that's because the pitch of their voices was found to me be, I mean, this could be a technological thing. Like they carry better over the wire or it could have just been like the average caller responded better to a helpful female voice. You know, yeah. who, it could have just been gender, gender roles in society. Can you think of a time I, I was just the age where I talked to the operator quite a bit. I've never talked to an operator in my life. Yeah. Because I'm except in, at like the Columbia house operator to be like, no, I don't <laughs> want uh, Duran Duran's I'd like uh, to cancel my yeah, exactly. free subscription. No, I, you know, I made long distance calls growing up because my dad lived in Alaska and my mom uh, lived in Seattle. So I was gotta always wait, making, gotta wait till nine o'clock. Yeah. Always making long distance calls, always reversing the charges, always making collect calls. Uh, and so talked to operators all the time and, and would call them and ask questions as a kid, you know, cause I was left alone a lot and I would have a question Oh, you would actually do the, um, 
how does a big plant come out of a little seed? You just call the operator? Yeah, and and they were always great. And I never <laughs> once talked to a male operator. Every single one was a was a, a woman, and they were all extremely helpful. I never had a rude one. They always were like, oh, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but maybe you could. Do you have a dictionary? You know, like, <laughs> like uh, they were, they were great. You know, they were, they were babysitters. Basically. Well, you know how that cycle works where once a job becomes in the 20th century, once a job becomes associated with women for whatever reason, then that becomes a kind of stigma where right, now right. it's no longer um, nursing and stenography. And yeah, now it's no longer respectable work. Rocket science, yeah. computers. Um, but anyway, Dr. Oh, that, before we get back to Dr. Parker, that reminds me, like, I don't remember ever seeing my own name in the phone book but i remember the first time i used a phone book and it was kind of a because it was kind of a grown-up thing you know kids don't need to know where to get their car detailed you know right um or kids aren't calling an electrician but i do remember once like i got at, to a sufficient age to realize that i had missed like an issue of batman or something what i'm like you know i'm the outrage i'm in eighth grade and i'm like well where where do i get batman number 405 you know like i i only have three parts of this story and and I realize. Wait, if you can look in the phone book, and between uh, uh, what uh, co- color copying and um, commercial art, there's like comic book stores, and like what, there's there's five stores in Seattle that sell comic books. Oh, you didn't know where they all were? No, I had no idea. Like I had no idea. You know, we were getting them off newsstands or or, oh, sure, or whatever. Sure. You know, drug stores, comic book stores, and like there's a comic book store, and uh, and that was the first time I was like, and look, they got ads here. This one has a picture of the Superman logo and the Batman logo. Maybe they have my Batman comic. That was very exciting for me. I had a similar one, except it's a l- lot more. I hope it's weirder. Uh, it's a lot weirder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went through a phase. Uh, before I had a driver's license, I went through a phase where I, through, through the anarchist cookbook, which we talked about on an early omnibus, I decided that I was going to learn to make gunpowder. And so I was buying black, uh, I was bl- buying sulfur, saltpeter, and uh, charcoal, but I needed it to be in, um, you know, in, in chemistry grade mm. qualities of these things. And you could get... You can't just scoop it off a rock face like Captain Kirk. No, no, right. Although you probably could if you were good. I wasn't good. But you could find saltpeter at the drugstore because they were pouring it into Cub Scouts uh, <laughs> right. soup in order to keep their... Put them in the tang. Yeah, keep their boners down. But other things like really good... Uh, really good... What was it? Charcoal was really hard to... Anyway, I, so I went on in the phone book and discovered there were chemistry supply places in Anchorage... And I went to them and, you know, who knows what they thought. Some kid coming in like, I'd like one container of sulfur, please. I bet they knew. And I, you know, and I mixed them together and the gunpowder I made was always just like, you know, it never. Good. But There's probably buildings that are still standing because (laughs) you couldn't get your act together. Then I realized there was a whole muzzle loader culture in Alaska who were selling, there were, there were 17 different places that would sell you just a can of black powder for $5. And they did, there was no like ID like, then. You just walked into, you know, 14 year old kid. I like two big jugs of black powder. And they're like, I got to assume you're, you've got a blunderbuss. <laughs> you kind of have the look of a blunderbuss owner. Yeah, still do. Let's head back to Lowell, Massachusetts in 1879. I'm just realizing this might be a long. There are blunderbuss, blunderbuss, There are still blunderbuss. <laughs> <laughs> um, blunderbuss, blunderpan, blunderace. 
The uh, the problem is there's a measles epidemic going around town, as Dr. Parker well knows, because Uh-oh. he's a uh, he's a doctor, and because he's a, on the board of the phone company, he also knows they're now a, a boy down in the in the exchange operating exchange, and suddenly there's two gone, and now there's starting to be delays, and he started to realize he goes to the the director and says, "What happens if these two other boys get sick?" And there's no contingency. Plan. There's no contingency. It's like, well, we could. We could hire people, but um, you know, all the spare, all the substitutes are all already out. You know, we're down to the bone, and when we hire people, you know, it takes them just weeks to learn all which of the all, all two hundred numbers and which hole they go into, because these people are literally oh, yeah. plugging plugging a jack into a like a little wall socket every time they connect a call. And that's when they diagnosed Asperger's syndrome for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Went to all the hospitals. Dr. Parker actually has enough of a methodical efficiency uh, guru mind to say, well, this must mean you're doing the whole thing wrong. Like you can't expect this system to always have every worker know every subscriber's phone number. That's in, or every subscriber's, uh, you know, Jack, like that's insane. Um, what you need to do <clears throat> is just have people call and say, I need to speak to one, six, one, four, and then they can plug it in. And the, you know, the Lowell, Massachusetts telephone company was not having it. They were like, oh. our customers will not go for that. Like they expect, it's, it's so funny now to think that you would pick up the phone expecting a certain level of concierge service for yeah. your, for your $6 a month or whatever, you know, like, you know who I am and you know who I want to talk to, uh, make it happen, boy. Um, and the idea that you would have to say, this is seven, one, eight. Oh, I want to talk to four, you know, no, people would, would hate to have that think of themselves as just a number and a cog. Um, but it had to happen because the measles were knocking out all the switchboard operators. Wow. So thanks to the measles, Lowell, Massachusetts developed this numbering system. And of and course, Dr. Parker, thanks to our the, hero, the William Carlos Williams of phone books. He's the Walter Reed of, uh, of this story, basically the medical hero that gives us the phone number. Um, but you know, he was just ahead of the game because yeah. as telephone exchanges spread and efficiency became more important and subscriber numbers went up, the old system just never would have worked. And now we all have barcodes tattooed on our foreheads <laughs> and the jackbooted feds are taking our guns. Thanks. By 1921, it was everywhere. In Manhattan, alone, soon every city had um, had phone numbers. By 1910, I think 7 million Americans had phone numbers. So in the matter, you know, this is like a 30-year thing. This is basically from the dawn of cell phones till now. Were they always seven digits long? No, I think they, I think mm, that's a good question. I think they they certainly know they that was an expansion. I don't even know when that got standardized. That probably would have been, you know, some kind of regional bell takeover innovation, right? Because in most cases, it was just a, a town level exchange. Because phone numbers in Europe, yeah, they're six, they're eight, they're yeah, they're all knows? over the map, right? Yeah. Twelve digits in Germany. I mean, there's some. You know, I had a professor tell me once that the reason why the U.S. ones are seven. Digits, and I, I don't believe this is true now. That's a think fortuitous about it. number. Yeah, because it's so lucky. <laughs> and think of all the luck we've had. We didn't, we haven't, we didn't like lose a war for well, yeah, a few decades, depending on how you count. Uh, the uh, no, that it's based on cognitive theory. That you know, these new efficiency psychologists realize that the human brain can keep a list of seven things in there. Is that right? Well, my old boss at work always said, like this. She was making design decisions based on this. She'd always say seven plus minus one, seven plus minus one. And I had no idea what it meant. And finally, I was like, does it mean? why are you saying that? And she's like, oh, there's all this research showing that people can remember a list of seven items, plus or minus one. You know, some can do six, some can do eight. Nobody, 
Nobody can do nine, basically. Seven minus one was her, uh, was her mantra. She was always saying seven plus or minus one, seven, you know, if we tried to design something bigger than that. And hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. Certainly, I've had to use echoic memory to remember phone numbers where you, five, four, one, six, two, seven, five, four, one, six, two, three, eight, five, four, one, six, two, three, eight. And then you get to the phone and you're like, five, damn two, it. three, one. I, I can, I'm just picturing like some, some uh, guys in high collars with bow ties going, it's got to be seven numbers. <laughs> Well, you know, that is the kind of thing that, you know, cognitive researchers are always doing memory. And uh, I'm going to look this up. Seven-digit dialing dates back to, um, I mean, it really is a relic of the Roman your, times. Your, yeah, it's the Romans. Uh, AD 7 plus or minus 1. What did the Romans ever do for us? No, it goes back to the, the Pennsylvania 65000 thing where it would be, you know, it would, you're there would be a four-digit number. And as they expanded, it was like, well, we'll add the prefix. And often the prefix was P-E-N-5000. Right. And then as cities got big enough, you needed multiple exchanges. It became P-E-1-5000, P-E-2-5000. Uh, I don't know when it was standardized. Somebody will tell us. Um, cities had different formats. There's some future link that works in a telephone museum. That's like bouncing up and down like someone that has to go to the bathroom. I know, right I know, now. I know, I know, I know, I know. Oh, Canada had two prefix numbers and then four numbers in big cities as late as the 1950s. Though they had to be systematically lengthened to to get with the rest of North Six, America. Six two one two one two. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two digit prefix and then a four digit exchange. Well, it was or a, a four digit um, number. It was a uh, it was a six digit number, and that would in- yeah, that would include everyone in Canada, right? Each, <laughs> yeah, million, each one of the ninety thousand people. people. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Uh, so by 1910, you know, 7 million Americans have phone numbers. By 1921, in Manhattan alone, phone books are a huge business. You know, millions of phone numbers are listed nationwide. Um, Manhattan has a team of 500 delivery men. Um, every year, they're delivering 500 rail car loads full of paper. Uh-oh. 100 tons of binding glue go into printing this stuff. And it's happening in every city. It's happening all over the world. All the London, Australia, Europe. Everybody has um, phone books, and it's now a big business. Um, Reuben Donnelly, the founder of R.R. Donnelly, the big Chicago printing company, uh, when he died in 1929, he was one of the richest men in America. He had eight-figure net worth, which was almost unheard of in the 20s. And I'm sure if he'd lived to 1930, maybe he would not have had. But just from publishing phone books. You know, he was, his was a big printing company that did everything from, I think, the Encyclopedia Britannica down to um, the Sears catalog. You know, he, he, it, they, mm. were the big, they were the big dogs well into the late 20th century. But phone books were the cash cow. Um, they were enormously expensive to produce, you know, because you had to research every number in a pre-computer age. You know, you had to have this laborious system of paper documents that How populated the phone book. How did you submit your number to the phone company? When you got a phone, did they... I mean, this was a time when you, a lot of people probably went into an office and waited at a window, but I think you could also submit a card. Yeah, if you got a phone, they came to your house and they put the phone in or they turned it on. Oh yeah, maybe the, maybe they knew. And then they connected the number to the to your name in the billing, but somehow I got that Ignatius in there. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> nobody looked at your driver's license. Uh, but and you, th- yeah, I'm just remembering, you could call the operator and say, I'm trying to reach Ken Jennings in Salt Lake City. I did, you know, I said I never talked to an operator, and you're right. In college, sometimes I would do that. You know, friends I'd lost touch with, I'd be like, well, he went to 
you know, Dartmouth, or he's living in California, and you'd, you'd call and directory assistants would... They would ha- presumably have a phone book there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you if you hadn't paid to be unlisted, they, yeah. w- they would give you any... Because they'd connect you with the local operator, and the local operator would say, do you mean Ken Jennings in uh, right. Orem, or do you mean Ken Jennings in Ken Liberty? Ken R. Jennings, we got Ken J. Jennings, we yeah. got Ken and J. C. Jennings. And then they'd call them. All in that weird little bell centennial font. I... Uh, and we should explain now to the far future that we're living in a time where privacy, though encroached on every side, is individually a great seen as a great, um, you know, an important value to many people. Yeah, can't and, do that anymore. And yet, yeah, and so we're now living in a time when people are just aghast at the idea that phone numbers would be public. But at the time, it was you couldn't imagine a different way for the world to work because literally the yellow pages and the white pages were how all manner of of connection and networking happened, whether you were a reporter trying to interview someone or a regular person trying to find uh, a repairman to fix your light switch or, you know, somebody trying to find a long lost cousin or you can't remember your, or you're at a bar and you can't remember your, your uh, best friend's phone number. You know, the use cases were just endless because it was the only way we interacted with the world. I have a particular person that I'm, that I've been trying to find for 10 years. And I can't find her. And the one person that I know that knows where to find her is mad at me. And I swear to you, she's not on the internet. How is that possible? Not on the internet at all. Have you tried reaching, just saying have her tried, names on podcasts? Have I tried calling, calling the operator? Yeah, there are no them. operators. That's what I would have done. <laughs> today, South Bend, Indiana. Today you have to start a podcast, build up a, an army of listeners. <laughs> There's a famous story. Like, who am I thinking of? Oh, it's nerdy. It's... um. Gene Roddenberry, I guess, mm-hmm. had like an exchange student friend as a young man with like a, you know, kind of a South Asian name. And he lost touch with him, spent all the years after World War II trying to track him down, spent decades, couldn't find him. And so he spent years naming Star Trek characters after this dude in hopes that he would reach out. And I guess he never did. And that's why we have the Wrath of Khan. Like. Whoa. Khan Noonien Singh is him trying to track down this dude named Noonien Singh that he lost touch with. This is a this is a perfect this is a perfect opportunity because there there's another person I've been looking for for a long time. I used to have a roommate. Is it Khan? No, but his name is Metat Abdul Jawad. Okay, and Metat was the son of some minister of the interior in Jordan in the 1980s. This will narrow it down when the operator's like, is it? <laughs> Well, there are a lot of uh, Abdul Jawads. Yeah. And so Maytat and I lived together for a year. I really love him. And he, we, we each kind of hit a rocky point in our lives. But he came from a family of privilege. Uh, but he's disappeared from the earth. So if anyone knows Maytat Abdul Jawad, who is about my age and is from Jordan and has a lot of charisma. And, and possibly a lot of... Uh... A lot of addiction problems in his 20s. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe so. Yeah. Somewhere in between. Maybe. Yes. I can confirm or deny. Uh, well, put him in touch with me because uh, he's impossible to find too. Jo- only because there are one million Abdul Jawads. Have you thought of, I mean, that's the problem with Singh. I mean, to Gene Roddenberry, he's like, well, that's a, that's a cool name. No, it's, I mean, it is, but it's also 
200 million people in the Indian <laughs> subcontinent. <laughs> and that's why Data's creator is Nuni and Sung. And even the new uh, Star Trek has a guy named, as a woman named like Lon Singh instead of Khan Singh. And or he whatever. never found I don't believe he ever found him. Wow. So you may have to start a popular science fiction franchise with an evil genetically engineered villain named Maytat Abdulduad and, uh, and see if he sues you. Yeah. It, it could work. Well, it's possible that somebody's going to write me and be like, um, you know, he's an international arms dealer and war criminal. <laughs> and you're canceled now. Ken, do you ever get frustrated that uh, big businesses have a lot more resources than the small little storefront that you're running there at at uh, Ken Jennings, Inc.? Yeah, I you know, that really bothers me. It keeps me up nights. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you were going to sell some of those 20 globes you have sitting under a piano somewhere. Which I wish I could do. You'd be competing with Big Globe. Big Globe. That's right. It's a global industry. <laughs> literally are selling globes. We're, like they're, they're literally, they, they cover the whole earth. It's, it's worldwide. I'm going to recommend that if, if, are you going to sell some of those 20 odd globes? I really, I need some help. I'm, I, I really don't have the, the tools to do it myself. I think you might want to try Shopify, John. This is more than an online store. It's a whole suite of tools that helps you connect with your customers. It'll drive your globe sales, and it'll manage your whole day-to-day global operation. I need insight as I grow in, in, mm, into mm, uh, interesting, mm, da, like mm. <laughs> detailed reporting of conversion rates or profit margins. I mean, how, how am I going to find that kind of granular detail? This is the kind of reporting that Shopify gives entrepreneurs everywhere. You're going to be able to compete with the big boys now because you're going to have all those kinds of tools. But can I accept major payment methods? They'll, they'll help you accept all the major payment methods. Will it supercharge my knowledge, my sales, and my success? No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It totally will. What? Of course it will. Ding, ding, do you ding. feel like your knowledge is about Globe Sales is not already supercharged? No, I do feel like it's charged but not supercharged this way you can synchronize your online and in-person sales in case you're planning on going to door-to-door with some of those globes yes to annoy your neighbors i I will take you out after the show and show you in the back of the truck right now i have a giant globe and it's a one-stop thing where they'll integrate all your globe related posts across all social networks so Mm. so your globe posts on facebook your globe stories on instagram your globe related dances on tiktok Mm -hmm. um your globe photos on pinterest you can coordinate that all from one stop shopping place. And that place, John, is Shopify. So what do I have to do? Shopify powers over two million businesses. You want to be two million and one? I do. I wanna be I wanna I wanna be running a business that goes from first sale to full scale. You are in luck. Go to Shopify.com slash omnibus. That would be omnibus all lowercase, and you'll get a free 14-day trial. To see how many globes you sell. You'll get full access to all of Shopify's entire suite of features. I'm going to grow my globe business with Shopify today. I'm going to go to shopify.com slash omnibus right now. Shopify.com slash omnibus. Phone books are a big business uh, for most of the 20th century. Uh, just printing and delivering. You know, you can imagine giving every American household this massive research project every, you know, it's like doing a census every year, but also you have to distribute it to every home. And was it used as a resource of like, as you're saying, as a sort of census, 
resource to i mean i'm i'm not talking about the book itself like, but for like government purposes yeah just the 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 ability to track certainly by law enforcement yeah i don't know how many government agencies were but probably i mean that's where else would you get data if you okay now which which metro areas have the most car ownership for a person well let's count the number of muffler shops and right. you know i i i i imagine it was a great academics and yeah and, statistics uh, cabinet agencies and um, you know, and they're also doing their own research, and there's private firms doing that kind of research. Genealogy too, research. I bet the Mormons used it a lot in well, the early days. I think that's a hundred a thing you would do. You'd just you'd be like the Terminator calling down all the Sarah Connors trying to find the one who your grandma says is your third cousin. Right. And you're not gonna put a you're not gonna put liquid metal through her head. No, uh, well, probably not. I don't know. Unless your grandma told you some real stories. I mean, one thing they did get used for a lot is confetti. Uh oh, sure. We talked how, would about, you, how would you confettiize a phone book? It would take so long, right? I guess you're pulling out strips in maybe 10-page increments and then turning those strips into pieces. But the phone company would live in fear of ticker tape parades <laughs> um, because people would just cannibalize their phone book and then be like, uh, we lost our phone book. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in New York on, you, par- on uh, Yeah, you want to lean out of your window and toss something. What do you have in the office that's cheap... Uh, Disposable paper, everybody just went to the phone book. Like when Gertrude Ederly swam across the English Channel in 1926 and then came back to her native um, her native New York City, there was a big parade and uh, 5,000 phone books were just like shredded immediately by, by companies. And then the New York Telephone Company was just aghast because, wait, we can't replace 5,000 of these. Do you know? You know, speaking of how um, central this was to the American experience— it uh, you think about the slogan of the yellow pages let your fingers do the to the walking to the walking the uh, by the way the first yellow pages according to most accounts and this seems a little spurious but why not i'll repeat it 1883 a Cheyenne Wyoming printing company gets the contract to do the directory but runs out of white paper and says well We've got yellow, and they'd already done the residential one, so the business one went on yellow. Well, do you, did you ever see a phone book that was both? Yeah. But white used, in the front, didn't yellow in the back? Didn't they used to all be both? Yeah, they were all both. Because um, most places were small enough that there weren't separate phone books. Yeah, the Anchorage phone books that I have are are uh, white in the front, yellow in the all back. All my childhood memories are like combined like that. But um, but the reason why the slogan is, let your fingers do the walking, is what, and I never thought about this, it's actually implying all that walking you do around town to find out you know, which repair shop can service this kind of car or does this store carry this kind of widget? Do you have Batman 471? Yeah, which issue of Batman do you have? All these questions, you would literally have to wander around town dinging the little bell in stores and (laughs) and having a clerk go into the back and go through a drawer. And now they're saying, no, your fingers can do all that. You can sit at home and, you know, it's an efficiency thing. More time for you... uh, Housewives and and uh, weekend husbands with honey do lists, um, and the logo, of course. Can you picture it? The yeah, little the little, little hand. Kind of. What was the? There was the little hand that had the American flag painted on it too. Oh, was that? But it was walking. It wasn't the peace sign. Is that the special bicentennial? Uh, yeah, maybe, yellow pages or maybe. something. What was that? Red, white, and blue pages. Uh, the the idea that the logo for the phone book would be a little would be a little hand walking. Um, was thought up by a New England graphic artist in 1962. And then I think it was AT&T that came up with the most famous iteration of it. There's like a three, his was kind of a real cartoon hand, like Ziggy's doing it. Yeah. This is more of a, the three, the stylized three finger one you can think of with the thumb. Yeah. 
And just like I always missaw the USPS eagle, like I never really thought of this as a hand. Like to me, it the thumb kind of has like a little beard. It looks like a little guy. I, oh, interesting. It just looks like a glyph to me. You know, I yeah. think I think maybe if it's a if it's an icon you see when you're so little that you barely have object permanence, you know, you can't really do the adult thing of being like, oh yeah, he means a hand. Look how cool and streamlined it is. You know, yeah. you're. So my whole life, I've never I've always thought this just was a sign for telephones or something. That's interesting and and cool. It's weird, right? Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about. You yeah, see that yeah. you know it, it's missing just, a couple fingers. The thumb has like a, a bend that looks like, like a, a beard. Is that a, is that his head? I googled uh, red, white, and blue hands, and I got uh, a bunch of returns for Raynaud's disease. <laughs> so <laughs> WebMD says if my hands are red, <laughs> white, and blue, either you're very patriotic or see a doctor. Um. So, but the oh, the thing about AT and T inventing that logo is they never copyrighted it. Really? And by the time some lawyer 20 years later was like, we should actually, you know, because all these regional publishers would use it for their phone books. And AT&T was like, sure, what's good for the phones is good for America. And by the time they finally tried to copyright it, um, the courts were like, nah, this has been in every home for, you know, for 20 years. You're, you're too late. The, the cat's out of the barn. As the, as the saying goes. It's so funny if you Google AT&T now, um, all, you get so, you know, they have completely dominated the system with the with their little globe logo. And you can't, you even, can't even find, find the, the fingers doing the walking. It's so hard to see the fingers, but if you, if you scroll down, you'll find it. So if you study the history of the phone book in the 20th century America, it's really kind of an interesting cultural history of America at that time. Um, from the early 20th century on, there would be lawsuits over the content of the ads. Like, is is Bell liable if, um, I guess, a Jewish citizens group sued because some club was like, it's, it says something like, no. The No Jews Allowed Club. Basically, it's like they're, they're advertising their country club, and then it says, no Hebrews, no. Um, Blacks, no Irish. I'm like, no, no carpenter ants or something like that. It's, the other line is not even parallel. It's like, Jews not allowed, but also. Um, no long lines at the at the pool, or um, or, uh, or or no pests, no termites in the locker rooms anymore, or something like that. Rightfully so, they were sued, uh, and uh, there were lawsuits over whether or not um, breweries could be listed in the you know oh blue laws. Yeah, are you are you uh, what do you call it? Making the youth delinquents? What's the verb for leading the youth astray? Uh, oh, euthanizing? Uh, no. Um... Your, uh, People are jumping up and down on this. I know it's a uh, it's a it's a, it's a Let's uh, pause very for, common word. Let's pause for five minutes while we it's, think about uh, you're corrupting them. That's what probably what I wanted to say. <laughs> yes, corrupting the youth of Athens. Yeah, but the problem is that the phone number of a bar. I mean, how are you going to call Moe's and, and ask him <laughs> if his refrigerator is running? <laughs> I think it was more like actual breweries or oh. or distilleries or whatever. But again, what's a 16 year old going to do? I would like some of your beer cans, please. Send beer. <laughs> but yeah, you had to call the bar to say like, is, is Jim that, is, still there? Or is dad still there? Send him home. It's cry, yeah, it's crying women and their children <laughs> in the background. Um, I don't know why I'm joking about alcoholism. It's funny because it's old timey. Alcoholism is hilarious. The, uh, the South had segregated phone books. No, it did not. Apparently many municipalities were like, well, we can't put the nice white people next to them. No. There would literally be a white pages and a yellow pages and a colored pages. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, now that you say it, like, of course, right, but yeah, right. I had no idea. But it's just so funny. Like at least with, 
I don't want to say at least. I don't want to like rationalize some forms of Jim Crow laws. Literally, the blacks were at the back of the phone book. <laughs> like their virtual name cannot be close to your name. Like it's not even like what if they're near me on the bus or yeah. uh, at the drinking fountains. Incredible. It's like what legitimacy would these people get if they were in the good part of the phone book? It just shows you how much it's driven by grievance and not actually by any fears of of, uh, of hygiene or what if they date your daughter or you know it's it's all just like. I got to keep my good phone book page. Well, just like it's really uh, completely designed to just repress and and strip the dignity from exactly, people. exactly. Yeah. They can't be in the part with good, good God fearing folks like the Reverend it Todd. Literally says white pages. <laughs> yeah, the, the white pages were the white pages. It's more or less like uh, the only reason why John Hodgman wants to be in the the Sky Lounge. You know, he knows somebody else can't get in. <laughs> I'm sure he not, would. I'm sure he would love that comparison. Not only does he want to be in the Sky Lounge, but he's going to post about it. So if you're not there, you can know. And then, as late as the 1970s, in in many areas, the telephone company resisted adding women's names, like the uh, the spouse's name, to the entry. Oh, right. Um, like uh, like uh, Ken Jennings and Mrs. Ken Jennings. Right. And, you know, because I don't remember these times, but if you're, I guess if you're 10 years older than me, you remember a time when it would just say Ken Jennings. Yeah. And if you had tried, and nobody would add, and Mindy Jennings, you would just have to know your your yeah. your female friend's husband's name well, because why, it was Mrs. Ken Jennings. Why would you want to call her anyway? <laughs> no, women were talking on the phone all day to each other. <laughs> That's true. But they knew one another's numbers. Exactly. Well, yeah. You know, when my mom divorced my dad in 1972, uh, women couldn't get checking accounts. Right. So it's like not that long ago. Yeah. Isn't that great? This, I mean, it's not great. It's, a, all, it's amazing that, that we bizarre? kept them down for so long. <laughs> we, like the odds were against us. There were more of them than us the whole time. The whole time. time. Still now. Uh, the And the reason given by the telephone companies was the extra ink it would cost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we've done the math. How are you going to put all those extra names? That's three more cents of ink per phone book. And that's, you know, that's 12, that would, would have been $12,000 last year. Or, How are you going to keep them down on the farm after their name is in After the you can see them in the phone book. Um, uh, I should note for our listeners that are irony challenged that we are kidding. Which part? We, we actually believe that women should have checking accounts. I said great <laughs> to mean, isn't this a great trivia fact? And I realized as I was saying it, it sounded like I was saying, isn't it amazing that um, why women's names couldn't be in the phone book? Like that this would be a point of particular pride for me. Most of our listeners were with us the whole time, but you have to be sh- careful in this day and age that the two to 10 people that were like, what? That's not great at all. In fact, I can see some downsides. <laughs> you are all correct. Uh, in the, uh, you can see the rise of the environmental movement when it comes to the phone book. Um, oh, the paper, all the paper. And this is one of the things that eventually will lead to their downfall, but kind of rounding error. I think. Do you remember what environmentalism was really about that we were using too much paper? That that feels so (laughs) quaint now. The New York attorney general's office reached out to, in the early days, most phone books were recycled because just when it made financial sense companies would pinch pennies and say yeah please send your used phone books back you know and a new one is coming here's here's where you put the old one because we're going to take all that yellow paper and make next year's phone books out of it but at some point the infrastructure of running that did not pencil out and of course nobody was thinking about recycling from a conservation standpoint really 
So it, was, it wasn't until 1970. So they stopped doing it. And it wasn't until 1971 huh. that the New York AG's office was like, hey, wh- why'd you stop recycling phone booths like, you know, Earth Day and whatnot? Let's, let's all start doing that. And basically the phone company didn't get back to them for 19 years. Like in, <laughs> like in 1990, um, finally the attorney general office was like, hey, we're going to ask again. What, uh, remember seven, 19 years ago, we asked you if you could recycle some phone books. Have, have you given that some thought? This is generally how government and big business operate in America. Uh-huh. Here's a cool thing. In the 1950s, used phone books were actually sent, I believe, from New York down to Panama because uh, some land company there had found out they were really good padding for armored cars. Whoa. You would put them under the metal studs on the inside, and then you'd have this other layer of, of bulletproofness, basically. The, yeah. ca- the car would be super invulnerable because there'd be a phone booth, old phone books inside the, the metal. Well, you saw that a lot, actually, right? That when they would test guns, they would fire them Could into phone books? Could a phone book. Yeah. And then there's kind of the awful mob thing of people realizing that's how you beat somebody up. Hit him with a phone book. Hit him with a phone book. Uh, So the phone books decline. The story actually begins with the the breakup of of Bell, the Bell Telephone Company. Right, Um, which we covered. We've already covered that. What that meant is a bunch of regional companies sprang up all over, and they started outsourcing their, you know, each of them, it didn't make sense of each of them to kind of run their own. I mean, the printing had always been outsourced. But now they start selling the rights to private companies who just are in charge of keeping phone directory databases and uh, and taking ad money. And what that means is America becomes awash in phone books after after the baby bells take over. Like if you lived in Southern California, suddenly there's 10 different phone books coming to your front door every year um, because a bunch of private, comp- you know, now you've got super pages versus Dex, which was actually the successor to the R.R. Donnelly company, our 1920s millionaire, and, and yellow.com. And, you know, in, in other countries, it was different things, but it was the same thing. Private companies took over this business and it became a huge moneymaker. Like as late as the 2000s, you know, around the, the turn of the millennium, there were an all-time high of 615 million phone books in America. And it was a $14 billion industry they were making money by selling ads selling yellow pages ads yes when i was in college uh my roommate scott and his friend mike worked a pretty amazing summer job where instead of doing you know pest control or working uh behind the window of a taco bell or something they went up to park city utah where all the fancy hotels and restaurants and other businesses were and they made sure that all those businesses bought real fancy phone book ads saying what a nice place they were to take a client or take your wife on that special night. Um, it would have to have the right design and, you know, and so they would buy these big ads and, you know, they would pay, you know, I think upwards of $800, you know, for, for, you know, a half page ad or a full page ad would be huge, you know, and you could buy different sizes, but paying a ton of money. And the real only reason why I remember this fondly is because often they would pay in trade. You know, they would pay a small amount in uh, cash to to super pages or whoever the the private outfit was, but then they would also say, "And we'll kick in the rest of it in free meals at our restaurant." To who? Which the company would in turn use as a perk for the salespeople, so they could underpay the salespeople because they're like, "And every month you get, you know, eight hundred and fifty dollars in trade. You can eat it oh. at every nice restaurant in Park City, Utah." So we, you know, we would go up there. 
and they would they would never be able to use it all, you know, because they'd go up there to sell ads and then they'd have lunch. But it turns out eventually you get sick of nice Park City restaurant food. And so occasionally they'd be like, you know, Mike and I, have, we, we've got like $1,200 in trade right now. Like, let's just go nuts at, at some Italian place. The problem was all these places hated to see the trade people coming because they they would tip on the $0 value of their <laughs> of their ticket. And so we were always very careful to actually, you know, Mike, yeah. Scott and Mike were like, we have to work with these people. You know, we're leaving. And I'm sure a nice tip in Utah in 1997 was 15%. Yeah, sure. Whoa, Mr. Moneybags. You throw your quarters down and <laughs> keep the change. It turns out a map of tipping in America is basically just an electoral map. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you can look at the wall they have on CNN and that'll tell you. Uh, how much servers like live in there? Yeah, my sister hates when Europeans come and eat <laughs> in her. Well, I mean that's not their fault. They're they're from non-tipping cultures. Yeah, on some level they probably know that they're supposed to, but they're like, I do not understand. <laughs> so, like in the '90s, these super pages and decks and all these outfits are maybe making like, if you do the math of how many phone books there are, they're making like at least twenty dollars and twenty-two dollars in revenue per copy of the phone book wow. they print. But the writing is on the wall. Um, you know, France, as we know from another omnibus century, has already moved to online telephone directories when its Minitel right. box went live in the early 90s or whenever that was. Um, and growth starts to plateau. You know, I read an article from, I think I said around the turn of the millennium, but I read an article from around 2008 in Slate. And that's where these numbers come from, $14 billion industry. So it's like 15 years ago or less. This is still a $15 billion industry because every American basically has a shopping mall's worth of revenue on their shelf, a little mini shopping mall. And now they're all doing about as well as actual shopping malls. <laughs> um, growth started to plateau very soon. You could see the writing on the wall. It was, it was a mature industry. Everybody who had one already had one. And what's worse, old people, you know, the, the age of the use was increasing. No new people were wanting phone books. Um, I, re- I remember feeling embarrassed about throwing away phone books because they had always seemed like such a it's full it, of information yeah, you might it's so important you might as well have. throw away a dictionary yeah uh, but, but it was they just came they came every 3 months they started to come more and more often so i think there was a case where you know there was a, like a little bit of a bubble that kind of psychologically made people think well this is weird and doesn't seem modern and sustainable donnelly in particular is a use case of kind of a kodak like thing where they really resisted digital directories they were like, we're a legacy business. We know how to do that. And they would have advisors tell them, or de- I guess now they're decks. Uh, they would have advisors tell them, uh, you know, everybody's going to be, it's, it's, sir, it's 2008. Like everybody's going to be searching for things on the internet. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, we've got somebody looking at that, but that's not what we do here. Phone books are phone books. And they've always been, you know. And then everybody got a mobile phone and that kind of did a number on the, phone book two ways one now everybody had an expectation of privacy around their number because you would literally be bothering for some reason when they're bothering a table in your home when a stranger can bother a table in your home psychologically that's very different than a stranger can bother my pocket yeah Yeah. although you know the phone rings even especially when you had only one phone in the house it was so loud and annoying oh gotta go get the phone but you had to get the phone right you almost never just sat and let it ring unless you were actively avoiding somebody i mean to this day i think maybe the older you are the less likely you are to be able to sit and just let a phone ring because you remember a time when you know what if that's somebody saying your plane ticket is canceled or your 
or there's a gas leak or your kids need to be picked up early from school or um, that was your lifeline. There was no Minitel unless you were in France. And then, so in addition to that, also, then we're starting to get, you know, we're moving into the smartphone era where now there's a good way to look up businesses and actually see reviews of them. Um, Although you know, Yelp is a garbage fire. Well, of course. But, like, think how bad Yellow Pages were. Yeah. The, no, But there weren't people in there like, the service was terrible and the food was great, but I hate it anyway. But One in, star. But if you look up restaurants in the phone book, it was always just, I mean, sometimes they would put up a menu so you'd get a sense of what you could order takeout. Yeah, right. But for the most part, it was just every restaurant telling you, I'm a great Mexican restaurant, da 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 and they were indistinguishable, and you know now I you know I think if, if I, I want to find resources for like do I go to this Thai restaurant or that one, there's ten different ways I can tackle that problem in my pocket, and they're yeah. all better than the phone book. But you can't find people, right? Uh, I mean, if people still have landlines, you can. That all got replaced with WhitePages.com or whatever. But if I wanted your, if I was like, oh, what's Ken's number? My everything new phone? Who dis? Yeah, there'd be no way for me to. Find you. If I don't have a landline, no. And that's because that's what the customer wants. Right. It seemed in, it seems insane to us now that mobile listings would be public. So the internet did those two things. And then the at least the illusion of the environmental costs started to trouble certain different cities and states. Um, le- about, the, about the same time, around 2010, legislatures in North Carolina, Minnesota, Maine, New York... Uh, you know, this is not from an environmental point of view, particularly North Carolina, I would assume, but um, but they were all kind of in anti-junk mail mode. Mm-hmm. You know, let's little, what are the wins that'll protect the consumer and get us reelected? And one of them was like, what if you could opt out of the phone book? And of course, the the phone companies and the directory companies fought this tooth and nail. Right, because they were still making a ton of money. It's advertising. And if you can opt out of getting those ads... And I think a lot of their lobbying groups were like, Psst, don't worry. Like Norway has had this law for a decade and like only 7% remember to opt out. Like you're going to be fine. But they put up a stink and they got these laws killed in a bunch of places. But then you had a simultaneous movement in um, self-righteous blue parts of the country who were like, why is all this extra wood pulp showing up at my door? And, the Lorax. And everybody's door. I'm the Lorax. Um you know, there was an article in Willamette Week where, you know, somebody did the math on Portland and they found out that I can't read my own writing, but oh yeah, every Portlander gets a Portlandite gets, you know, a pair of a pour of Portlandian gets a direct gets a pair of directories every year. It's ten pounds of paper in total. That's forty nine thousand seven hundred and seventy nine trees for the Portland city limits alone. A twelve mile high stack of phone books. They were not reflecting on the fact that the entire city of Portland is built on timber dollars <laughs> and wouldn't exist if it weren't for the lumber industry. They were pivoting away. These were their kids. They were pivoting away from this. Uh, and, you know, it should be easy to recycle these phone books, but there's a problem. We use very cheap glue in our phone books because we don't expect them to last. This and, is, and that keeps them from being recyclable? It clogs the, a lot of the recycling oh, machines. cheap glue. But expensive glue is better? I guess, like a dictionary, you 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 buy it and you think this is going to hold up for twenty years, so right. use a better grade of glue. Whatever gum they horse glue, whatever glue they put in the phone book, yeah, exactly. You wind up with all this little bits of horse in your uh, in your morning paper. Nobody wants that. I think if you run the numbers, it turns out, and this is what industry groups would say, because you know people had to spend a decade defending the yellow pages, which was a stupid, uh-huh. which was a 
you know, a winless, a no-win situation. And they would say, look, this is just 0.3% of America's, pay-, you know, this is dwarfed by newspapers, books, and magazines. Or was. Well, that's the thing. Newspapers and, newspapers and magazines started magazines to sink, and suddenly those numbers looked a little less good. But, um, you know, the users started aging, which made the ads less profitable. Uh, you know, people would pay $800 for a night, a really nice ad on the Yellow Pages, or eventually they pivoted to yellowpages.com. Like, you know, this is still going to be a nationwide directory. People won't have the books in their home. So, but they'll go to Google and be like, hey, yellowpages.com, uh, I, I need a plumber. And so you're going to want to have that same cool ad. And if you go to yellowpages.com today, you'll see what they've tried to do. It's a slightly more, inter- it's still like a 2005 product, but it's a slightly more interactive version of the phone book. Here are some low gas prices. Hey, here are the restaurants people are ordering from, you know, uh-huh. there's some, some attempt at big data and real time and, and search. Um, but really, you know, people would be paying $1,000 for an ad that would get them, you know, a few dozen calls a year or something. And it really didn't pencil out. An ad on yp.com would be like $10,000 because you're reaching the whole country. But are you? like? And why would you? Are they ordering, you know, is somebody in Omaha going to order clam chowder from Ivers here in Seattle? No. I'm not sure if, I, I've definitely been to yellowpages.com, but I don't remember why, and it's not like bookmarked or anything. <laughs> like if you put in Y-E, does it autocomplete? Oh, it's going to be Yelp. Yeah, it's Yelp. <laughs> but what if it's Y-P? Yp.com. Yp. Because you drank a. No, it's Ips- you drank a Dr. Diet Dr. Pepper earlier. That's why. It's Ypsilanti, Michigan, is what. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yp.com has a branding problem. I think we can agree. And Seattle helped put the nail in the coffin. In 2010, hmm. Seattle became the first place in America to. You know, other places had had phone companies start their own opt-out lists. Seattle was the first place to say, "Hey, consumers and lovers of the earth." Uh, we're going to legislate an opt-out list. Like, you have to have one. It was Mike O'Brien. I don't know how well you remember, I remember Seattle City Council of that era. I remember Mike O'Brien pretty well. You probably know Mike personally. Yeah. Um, and the law passed easily because who's who's against the environment and who's for useless books? And in the first year, about 20% of Seattle, one in five, opted out. And we must have done it because suddenly the bag stopped appearing on our on our doorknob. I remember it well. Um, and you know, we moved houses and we never got a phone book at this house. And I don't know if, now that they can't track our landlines, we're probably just inheriting the last guy's opt-out, you know? Right. Uh, you know, Mike O'Brien and I are the same age. Is that right? Yeah. Almost. I mean, he's a few months older than I feel me. like you're aging better. Well, I don't know. One time, when I was running for city council, I was, we had gotten done at some uh, event and I went out and I got in my truck my 1979 Suburban and started it. Probably not what he drives. No. And he, he came over and leaned in the window and he was like, I should have known that you drove a truck like this. <laughs> and I was like, what is that supposed to mean? He's like, ah, he just, just shook his head at me. If I remember right, he didn't like your Maverick, your whole Maverick vibe. He He's wanted a, a predictable, uh, a yeah. predictable, um, what do you call a block of votes? Yeah, he he gave me a, a a strong talking to at one point, and he was like, "Yeah, you are not who we need on the city council because we need to know how everybody's going to vote every time. We don't need you just voting their conscience. Yeah, you just seem like you're going to vote how, uh, about you based know, on the facts. Yeah, based on what you've independently researched. And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, goddamn right." And he was like, 
No, 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 no. You don't understand politics at all. And he's responsible for taking away the phone book, so... Well, I guess I support that. Little from column A, little from I think the following year, uh, Seattle's electoral win there made, I think the following year, um, I think San Francisco actually made theirs opt in. Oh. And that was kind of the death knell. Because then it's like, who's going to actually be like, yes, I do want a phone book. Like, I'm into that. Last year, uh, the UK um, actually went all digital for the first time. There are no paper. Here, there, I think they're just getting thinner and thinner in in areas that still have them. Do, are there p- places that still have phone books? Yeah, I think so, um, but not in the UK. As of 2019, they had, whoever has the contract there, yellow.com or something, was like, Yell, I think, was like, nope, now it's all a website. But you know how when places go all website, they're like, this is just the beginning of a new era for us. Yeah. But no, it means phone directories as we know them are, are, are pretty much done. Except... Actually, there's a, I think there's like a TikTok or a YouTube craze. It's a different feat of strength. Do you know this one? No. So, you know, we spent our days with these, I guess it's the difference in the generations. We had these big muscular circus men with barbells with the, with the amount painted on it in white paint. Yeah. They were, they were swimming uh, and pulling boats with, a, with, their teeth. with a chain in yeah. their teeth. Uh, and they were ripping the phone book in half. The feat of strength now is, I guess, if you interleave two phone books a page at a time. Oh, like shuffling a deck Which of cards. again, which these ne- neurotypical kids not only have tons of time <laughs> to- for, but are think is very fun. Sure. Um, yeah, like a, like a riffle shuffle or whatever. Put them together like a deck of playing cards. They cannot be pulled apart even by two Suburbans. Uh, Just because of the friction of all the... Yeah, I guess pushing together, the, push, the gravity of the... Yeah, it causes a normal force, a frictional force. And the more you pull, the harder it grabs. <laughs> yeah, so that's right. Eat little, tiny, at every meal. little tiny horse particles in the glue <laughs> are grabbing onto the pages. So that's the difference between the boomers and the millennials, is the boomers wanted to see somebody rip up a phone book. The millennials want the subtler thrill of, uh, of watching two phone books hold together. And Gen X caught in the middle, just happy to see our names in there. And that concludes The Phone Book, entry 931.RV2015, certificate number 48730, in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, increasingly (laughs) unlikely with every passing minute. Let's see, this show will go into the vault in mid-December. Oh, is Twitter... What are the odds there has not been a Twitter outage in the next uh, one month? I believe 100% that Twitter will keep limping along and all of these these long, uh, you know, farewell ceremonies that everybody's doing right now here in mid-November... It's just going to be ridiculous looking. There's just going to be a bunch of outages, right? Oh, where it goes down for a little while yeah. and nobody can figure out where the light switch is. Because Elon locked himself out of the building. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Facebook, Twitter, as long as it lasts, and Instagram. Nobody's talking about Facebook. That's the greatest thing. Everybody's like, we're going to go to Mastodon. We're going to go to... <laughs> it's like, you know, there is Facebook still. I feel like everybody's going to go back to Tumblr because that's where all the Twitter demographic came from. Like, Tumblr's loving this, I bet. Well, yeah, but Tumblr, you know, Tumblr took porn away, and that's that, that was the 100% the use case of Tumblr. But now nobody's using Twitter for porn, or I don't know them. Oh, they sure are. Sex workers are like a major... That's where they live no, their that's, lives. That's true. Twitter. That's true. But they can't... I bet the things they can't post on Tumblr would also get taken down on Twitter. No, you can put all kinds of dirty stuff on Twitter. You just can't put it on Instagram or Facebook, but on Twitter, ooh, 
Have you never gone on gone on no, Twitter and, I, no. and googled like uh, sexy I, lady? Apparently, you and I are doing different searches <laughs> on Twitter. No, I just Pre- have you know pr- pretty lady cleavage. I have a very broad circle of, of friends and acquaintances, and and sometimes I end up uh, on a friend's site and or, or feed, I guess <laughs> a friend, and then and I someday see, maybe you'll meet these friends in real life. I see some sexy ladies or some some sexy gentlemen, uh, sexy boys, and also sexy people. Who are gender fluid? And that's you're so open minded. What a yeah. good ally you are! They're all to look, there to look at all the porn. They're all naked, and uh, they want you to sign up for their OnlyFans, which is, I think is where everybody's going to go. Well, We're uh, all going to end up on OnlyFans. Like OnlyFans will will be for everything. Like yeah, like it'll be Substack too. Like no, no, hey, no. I've got some thoughts on the economy. Check out my OnlyFans. You could do. People write me all the time, and they're like, "Why don't you start an OnlyFans where you would just like read uh, Moby Dick aloud?" And I'm like, who would subscribe to that? Oh, lots of people. You know, what well, if you? I'm going to go OnlyFans and Google Dick and see if anything comes up. <laughs> Mo Moby oh, Dick. Moby Dick. Yeah, Moby Dick. Oh my god! I bet you're going to get some cool stuff. Anyway, uh, go to my Instagram account at John Roderick and see all of my non-sexual content. Ken, you're not on Instagram, are you? Uh, no, but if I was, I would have so much non-sexual content. And it would be more non-sexual than yours. But we have a, we have a Facebook, uh, fan site, uh, the Futurelings site, and Ken and I both go on there sometimes and respond to people who are wrong. Uh, and sometimes we go <laughs> on and even respond to people who are right. It's true that we rarely say, good job, you're right. And maybe we should. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll say like... I'll do the little thumbs up. I do the thing where, where then I write a, like a very much too long post and response where it's like okay dad stop well, just, texting well i just seem like a crank because i never go there and are like hey good discourse well done everybody but i will go there and be like that's a garbage take well yeah you're but, you're snarky and I, i'm not snarky you snark on them hard sometimes they like it they keep coming back <laughs> you're like yeah great idea this is my only fans dummy <laughs> i'm sure i said that <laughs> anyway go i'm always i've got a hotkey for great idea dummy just so i can put that on every post at ken jennings at john roderick futurelings everywhere future we should start going to the futurelings uh page on reddit and uh it's true and other places and snark on them just as hard i've never been maybe they feel like it's a safe space yeah, that you're exactly. not in their snark so now we but now they can say really mean stuff about us uh, you can send us mail, or you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com, and Ken will snark on you personally. Don't do that. He's a busy man. I got a lot going on. Um, every once in a while, like every six weeks, he'll send me five emails that were addressed specifically to me. All from cranks. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> can't write to my local paper anymore. I'm going to write to John Roderick. Dear sir, it's an F-15B, not F-15C. <laughs> uh, that's omnibusproject at gmail.com. And uh, you can mail us things to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Did I hear you opening mail? I did. We got something from Oslo, Norway. I was very excited. Who knows how many kroner this cost to send? It should say right up there at the it top. Looks like in, it looks like in Norway... 26, 40, 46 kroner. That's got to be a lot. Their stamps are all so Norwegian. There's a um, a rabbit with legs so long I don't believe it can exist. <laughs> it's a Norwegian rabbit. There's the Norwegian a, tall rabbit. There's some, kind of, there's some kind of mighty eagle or something, or buzzard or something, but they're both in the snow. They're both in snowy alpine landscapes. There's uh, so, the, if you put in 46 kroner uh-huh. into Google, it returns... Uh, an answer in pounds sterling. So it's, a, <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's, so it's one to one. Yeah. It's 3.8 pounds 
So basically $4. Wait, really? Yeah. Wait. 46 kroner. Am I reading this right? He got this here for four bucks? Pretty well, because the Norwegian Postal Service it is uh, subsidized by their petrochemical industry. Right up to the border, it's uh, their all their mail is carried on long, long-footed rabbits, long-legged rabbits, and then there's some kind of old-timey um, person also standing in the snow who I'm sure wrote or invented something wonderful. And then there's a multiracial uh, soccer team bouncing a ball that looks like a looks like a Getty Images. God bless them. I love the stamps of Norway, but this is fantastic. I was like, what? How am I supposed to know what this is? Well, what is it? Johan has sent us et budskab til Garcia, a Norway, a Norwegian translation of a message to Garcia from 1905. I don't know why, where Johan found this or why he had it. And I apologize for my Norwegian accent there. But uh, this uh, has a forward off Louis Henius. Presumably not a Norwegian name. But a forward. That would be a Norwegian forward. Um... But it's a beautiful look. It's got the, um, what do you call this? Is this like a decal edge? What do you call this kind of book where they. Oh, where it's shredded edge? Yeah, the edge is like, you can, it's been hand sliced. Yeah, what is that called? Or ripped. It's a beautiful publication in two colors of ink. Thank you so much, Johan. That is beautiful. We need, uh, we need a message to Garcia in other languages. It'll really help motivate us around here at the bunker. Uh, and then finally. Um, if you do not have message to Garcia to send us in the language of your country, please. There's only one other way to make up for that deficiency. Please support us at patreon.com slash omnibus project. Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. You almost certainly own your final phone book. But we hope that Providence will allow us to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus. 